0: Welcome to this production from College Place United Methodist Church. To find out more about our church, please visit our website at www.collegeplaceumc.org. And now, here's our sermon from Reverend Tab Miller. Well, you will see in just a moment how fitting that song is to The message God has for us this morning, this was not a very easy passage to preach from. Last week you remember that we looked at Isaiah, and Isaiah, his words are, Woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips, and I live amongst a people of unclean lips. And in our sermon today, in our scripture reading today, there are a series of woes. Woe are you in this. Woe are you when that. And so when I opened up the text and began to look at it, I just said, whoa. Goodness gracious, at all the woes. We'll feel a little beat up. But if we really listen to the love of Christ, as tough as it is to hear, we realize that everything he's saying to us is for our benefit. If we can just get that. If we can just realize that he's not trying to beat us up, but to draw us out of our own ways of wounding ourselves. The the way we live sometimes in a sinful world, if we participate in that world, is as if we are beating ourselves to death and he's asking us to stop. So that's where we are today. When the government shutdown was happening, I was riding down the road listening to NPR and I heard a very familiar voice. It will not be probably a familiar voice to some of you, but it's a voice I've heard many times. It's the voice of President Russell B. Gay, who is now uh, the former president of the Navajo Nation. He was still in office at the time. He was joined, I believe, by the president of the Ogallala Sioux. And they were interviewing them about how the government shutdown was impacting the reservations. And I couldn't help but hear the anger and concern in his voice, even though he was being very presidential. He was very worried about the shutdown. Because when the reservations were formed several decades ago, we made several treaties with the natives, real binding treaties, just as real as any treaty we would make with any other nation, treaties that we are supposed to uphold, And many of those went back to Congress and never were ratified. And therefore, it left them in the economic depression that they have been in since. At least that's part of it. But Congress has simply failed to ever go back and ratify them. They could. They could actually go back right now and ratify them. But it's led to unfair conditions for them. And yet, we did ratify some of those. And the ones that we did ratify now dictate the laws and relationships of how the reservations work and interact with the people of the United States. And one thing that we agreed upon was to support them in public works and infrastructure because we're going to be using their reservations by traveling through them. We did not want to have to use passports to go around them. We're going to be using it just as much as they are. And because we put them in very harsh environments, it would be very costly for them to upkeep Now, you might be thinking, well, it's not a big deal if the government shuts down and we're not paying for them to fix potholes. But this was during a time of heavy snow, and you had to have the roads cleared. For the Navajo people, the open road is life. You don't have running water. You don't have electricity. If you want water, you have to, on average, drive 30 miles with a tank on the back of your truck to fill up fresh water to take back home. During this time of year it gets below 0 in the desert, the high desert southwest, think about the elevation, and it's snowing and you don't have electricity, so you depend on being able to drive to the mountains where the trees grow and pick up the limbs that have fallen to burn in your stove for warmth. You have no neighborhood grocery store. The reservation is the size of West Virginia with Close to 200,000 people on it, and they have five grocery stores on the entire reservation. Most of my friends make a four-hour round trip once a month to go get their groceries. If the roads are closed, they could die. So President Begay was making a plea to the citizens of the United States to ask Congress to ensure that we uphold our treaty. And of course, those are my friends and family out there And so my heart was sinking, and um, after hearing the news, you know, I, I had the luxury to listen to the news about the shutdown at the time from my couch and have an opinion on it. I had the luxury of having an opinion. They had to practically live in this, and I knew, and the president had said, President Begay had said, we have reserve funds, but they'll be out in a week, and if it keeps snowing, our elders will be in trouble and so I was concerned, you can imagine. And I called my buddy and breathlessly said to him, he's a missionary on the reservation. And I said to him, I said, hey man, how, how is everybody? And he goes, hey man, we're good, how are you? I'm going. <laughs> I wanted to scream, what are you talking about? I'm good, how are you? What's up, man? I said, your president was on air saying that y'all are about to enter a state of emergency, but instead of yelling and getting all upset, and let my passions take over, I just said, "Well, uh, what do you think about the shutdown? What's everybody saying about the su- shutdown?" He goes, "Well, I guess we're worried just about like everybody else." And I said, I said, "Man, are you not seeing the effects?" He said, "Well, yeah, the, the roads aren't being cleared. Uh, we're stretching it out a little bit, so we're clearing them every few days a week so that we can get out and do things." And, and then he said something that just slapped me. Against the side of my head. I mean it just felt like a blow to the side of my head He said tab these people are used to not having help They're used they're used to having to figure out how to live in tough situations They're used to having to do things on their own They know how to stretch a dollar and they're not suddenly surprised when our government disappoints them He said it's people who have a lot of money that when they're for some reason, they lose their jobs or, some, or, or they lose their money. They lose what's in their bank accounts when those things go away. Those people are the ones that panic. But when the government disappoints a Navajo, that's just life. He said, "And don't worry. The churches have been gathering food and firewood and water. And we're going to take care of one another. And that puts a whole other spin on Jesus' is saying, blessed are the poor, doesn't it? Or maybe, maybe actually, maybe, maybe it's what Jesus has in mind when he says this. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the gospel of Luke chapter 6. We'll start at verse 17 and read through 26. He, that is Jesus, went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of disciples was there and a great number of people from all over Judea and Jerusalem and from the coastal region who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. And then looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when, you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you, and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven, for that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are wed, fed well now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. Takes this similar, isn't it? Similar to something we are very familiar with. It sounds very familiar. Well, it does and it doesn't. It's an awful lot like one of our favorite passages, the Sermon on the Mount, right? And in the Sermon on the Mount, we only get the Beatitudes. Blessed are you when this. Blessed are you when that. Some translate the word happy. Happy are you. Happy are you. Happy are you. In the Sermon on the Mount, it lifts us up as if we're going up on a mountain. Luke gives us another sermon. He begins with the Beatitudes. He starts to lull us into the ideas of happiness and then the woe. Woes of curse. Curses. Woe can mean curse. It means curse. Cursed are you when this is your life. This is no mountaintop sermon. Luke says this sermon happened on a plane. He said Jesus came down in that world. Like we, go down to, like we go down to Jacksonville. We mean we're heading south. In that world, if you were going down, that actually meant elevation. He came down off of a mountain and he stood on a level place with them. And in Scripture, mountains and plains... Each represent different states of existence. We talk about mountaintop experiences, and these come. this idea of mountaintop experiences comes from Scripture. Moses met God and was given the law on Mount Sinai. Jesus would steal away time and go up a mountain to pray with God. He was transfigured on a mountaintop. And we call this the mountaintop experience. On the other hand, the level places in the Bibles, the low places were places of suffering, disease, death, and idolatry. On the plains of Shinar, that's where the Tower of Babel was built. On the plain of Dura was where Nebuchadnezzar built his giant idol. It is on the plains that the armies ravish people and leave corpses. It is on the plains where the corpses of those who are diseased are left to rot. Jesus is walking down to the plain and speaking to the people on the plain, serving the people on the plain, and saying, you live in a world of death, you live in a world of destruction, and yet I am going to give you instructions on how to be happy even here. The disciples first see Jesus' serving the crowds before Jesus turns to them. Jesus' eyes are on the crowd. Jesus is looking at the crowd. Jesus has compassion on the crowd. And we are with the disciples standing back and watching Jesus. And then Jesus turns his eye on them. What do they see? They see disease. They see plagued people. They see people with mental illness, spiritual baggage. They see people hurting and just clamoring after Jesus to just get a touch of the hem of his cloak, cloak, so that he can heal them. We stand there watching the chaos with the disciples, and it reminds me of what I hear oftentimes when people get back from, say, the mission field. People get back from a mission, and they're full of guilt, and they'll say, it just reminds me of how blessed I am. Why do they say that? Because what they're saying is, I'm glad I'm not like those people. Jesus turns his eye to us when we say that and says, whoa, 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 not so fast. Blessed are you who are poor. Blessed are you who hunger now. Blessed are you who weep now. Blessed are you when people hate you, when people revile you, when people come up to you and think you are icky, for my name's sake. They are not a reminder of how blessed you are. Because you're not them. They are the blessed ones. Yes, they may be in more danger of having a worse off life because they have lack of money. There's no food for them sometimes. They have lack of medicine. They're not as well as we are. And they will will be because of those situations. Because they live in poverty, they're going to be much more acquainted with mourning because people in their realm of life die a lot sooner than they should. And he says that they're actually blessed. So should we look at them and go, what do I do about this? Should I just divest of all that I have? Should I give up everything that I have? Should I look at them and say, I'm glad I have worldly comforts? What, what do we say? Because Jesus says, woe to you who are rich. And he doesn't mean like the ultra rich that we know. He's talking about people That have just the means to buy the basic necessities. Blessed are you when you're well fed. I don't go hungry very often unless I choose to. Blessed are you who laugh now. Woe to you when people speak well of you. What do we do? Do we go give it all up? Give up our medications and let ourselves be sick for the sake of scripture? I think what we need to do is realize that we have to hear Luke in his entire context. And not only that, we have to hear the Scripture in its entire context. Jesus had a way of upending religious understanding of his day. Jesus had a way of saying, you have heard it said this, but I say that. And what he's doing is, is you think religiously this way, but it is actually this way. I want to shift your mind. And what he's trying to do in the Gospel of Luke throughout all the Gospels, actually, and even in this moment, is he's trying to shift their minds on what it means to have the Gospel. And he calls the Gospel the Gospel of the Kingdom of God. And when we hear about the Kingdom coming, that Jesus was saying, the Kingdom of God is near, it's at hand, your King is here, the blessings of the Kingdom are right here amongst you, we think that he's talking about the very end of time. The Bible talks about it as if we're living in the end's The end of the age. We are in the end times, but oftentimes we think of the cutoff time. But while the kingdom of God is certainly going to be all in all in the end, and while it is not of this world, for this time, right now, it is for this world. It is for the lost. Those who belong to the kingdom of God, you and I, are for the world. We are for going out and rescuing them. We are for going out and telling them of the good news of the kingdom of God. He is asking us to be ambassadors. But like today, in Jesus' time, things weren't always comfortable. And when things got uncomfortable, when things were going bad locally, the assumption was, well, things must be going bad everywhere. And when things are going bad everywhere, well, God just has to end it now. Israel knew the end was near. And here we are 2,000 years later. For Israel, their oppression was Rome. Jesus could see the writing on the wall. The fall of the temple was coming. He prophesied that it would happen in 70 AD. He knew that they would be exiled from their land. The geopolitical center of Israel would no longer exist. And they would live as a people amongst foreign lands and would be treated horribly. And yet, in this passage, he's saying, do not despair. Because when you are brought low, you will have the kingdom. It will be yours. I will be your God. I will be there for you. So on one level, there is an immediate application. He is asking us to be future-oriented, to look forward to the kingdom, to know that no matter what happens, the kingdom of God will be ours. So no matter what we suffer here, we will be okay. But there is the immediate application lesson to be learned. The lesson that I learned from my missionary friend, when you don't depend on worldly riches, and when things get rough, you have the blessing of already knowing how to lean on God's provision. I've seen it time and time again. Communities in poverty that I serve will have something very harsh happening in their reality, and I think, well, this is going to break them finally. This will be it. And every time they say, well... We just have to trust in the Lord because that's all we've ever done. What happens to people who put their trust in their finances or in their health or in their homes or in any other worldly blessings when the mess hits the fan? What happens to them? They panic. Natural disasters happen and we panic. When we lose things, we panic. And what do we blame? We cry out to the government and say, you're failing us. You should fix this. And maybe maybe there's something to that. Some people are so attached to their homes, they're being told disaster is coming to your home. And because they're so attached to that thing, their home, they won't leave until it's too late. Jesus is saying as Rome closes in, don't be attached to any of this stuff. Leave it all behind and trust in me. And if you can do that, you're already blessed because you simply obey and trust God. You already can live in the kingdom riches now. And everything that you sacrifice is just a way of investing in the kingdom of God. Now, I want to be clear. Jesus is not flatly saying that if you're poor, you're blessed. And if you're rich, you're far away from the kingdom of God. He's saying happiness in a dark world is having the spiritual awareness that nothing that we have gives us life. Only our connection to Jesus and we are all in poverty before God. We all need Him. We have nothing. We could have everything. And without God, we'd have nothing. So what is your Roman oppression? Is it the threat of loss of health, loss of uh, your job, loss of a loved one, loss of your home, a natural disaster, a stock market crash? What worldly event will happen that can steal away your joy? And Jesus is saying, learn to be poor in spirit, only have God to depend on. The English kind of muddles this up. He, it just says, you will be blessed or you will be cursed, depending on how you react to this. He, it's in the plural. He's saying, y'all. He's saying, live as a community together and depend on God. And you know how, as we saw last week, when we depend on God, he serves us through one another. If we can be a community that when one bad thing happens to somebody, we can come to each other's aid... Blessed are you because you depend on God. How practical is that? This isn't just some spiritual, oh, well, I, you know, I'll just be poor and you know, I'll suffer and in the end God will take care of me. This is practical. And this isn't even the hardest part of it all. Not only are we to learn to trust in God, he asks us to learn to weep. To learn to mourn for the suffering of others. See, Jesus is not in this text flippantly dismissing misery. Well, if you're poor and miserable, you'll be blessed one day. One day you'll have your reward. Good for you for suffering. Those boils look good on you. That's not what he's saying. Jesus is saying happiness from God for us comes when we have deep compassion for one another and we care for one another, And how far does that have to go, Jesus? In the very following passage that we did not read, where we stopped, he says, love your enemies. Love even your enemies. What does he mean by this? He doesn't mean just say, oh, well, I care about them. As we saw last week, love has to be in action. He's, the Bible's clear about this. Our lives are a call to live for others. To divest ourselves for the sake of others. We're left in a dark world to be light for the suffering people who are lost in evil. To bring joy to those who are being tortured. This is how Jesus lived his life. Jesus chose to be poured out. I want you to know, I want you to know that. Yes, we know, we say it all the time, Jesus was no rich man. But that was by choice. Look at who he is. He could have been as rich as he ever wanted to be. When people are desperate, they'll give you whatever if you promise them healing. We see it on on the televangelists all the time. I'm not saying all televangelists are bad. But we see people pouring money toward the televangelists. If you just will send me five bucks, God will bless you. God will bless you. No. No. Jesus empties himself out instead of asking for more. And people are clamoring to touch him. At times, he had bursts of fame, and he could have exploited it. And instead of glorifying himself, he turned everyone's attention to the needs of others. Blessed are you when you weep for the pain of this world. And if that sounds harsh, Jesus does not backpedal. (laughs) Preachers, we have a habit of saying something harsh and then stepping back and saying something real nice, you know, to say you're not all mad at us when we get done preaching. Jesus does not say weep for others. But if you don't want to do that, well, here's something else you can do. He doesn't soften the blow. Instead, he says, woe to you if you live in selfishness. There's no better way to run off the money than that. People that were willing to throw money at him, he just says, woe to you. Those who stick around, he says to them, this is your life now. Your life is one of vulnerability. You will be used and abused by the world. Because I came to love, you've seen it in me. I came and loved the world and they rejected me and yet I was still willing to love them for the sake of those few who would turn to me. You will be attacked for the love that you share and your heart will break and be left in pieces and I will scoop them back up and I will put them back together and I'll put that heart back in you. Why? Why? So it can be shattered all over again. For the sake of a lost and hurting world. And I'll keep putting it back together. And you will keep being shattered. Because you will hunger and thirst for the good of others. Even when they don't want it themselves. And through that you will change the world as the church of Jesus Christ. And in all of that you will be storing treasures in heaven. Have we divested ourselves of our selfishness? Do we love our enemies? And that doesn't mean from afar. Jesus says if you want to be happy, you need to do it. If you live for the kingdom now, you'll live for the kingdom forever. If you don't live for the kingdom now, you won't live in the kingdom forever. And so, with that, I'm going to hop on a tightrope. And you guys will have to bear with me for a moment. Because this is going to be... This is going to sound very political, and I promise I won't get political, but it's going to sound that way for just a second. Just this week, I was teaching a public ethics class here at the church, and it had a good question that was raised, a really good question, but it was at the end of class, and it was political, so I felt like we didn't have time to discuss it. We were talking about how the Bible asks us to look after the foreigners. Sometimes the Bible calls them the homeless poor or the refugee, the outsider, the foreigner, look after them so the question was raised, is the wall ethical? You know what wall I'm talking about. And I said to them then, and I'll say to you now, I don't think I can answer that question for you. I'm respecting you and not sharing my opinion, so when this service is over, please respect me and don't tell me what you think either. I'm not asking for us to solve the problem. So, I can respect arguments on either side. But instead of talking about whether or not we should or should not build the wall, Let me ask you this. Whether you think we need it or not, will you weep for the broken people there who don't want to go home because they might be murdered or because they don't have food because our government has oppressed them? Oh, well, some of them are criminals. Jesus said, weep for the prisoner. Go and visit them. We've all broken the law of God, and that's worse than breaking any law Of man maybe we need sensible ideas about our border for sure but we're still not talking just about a border it's not just an issue these are people living people people in pain and will you say it's not my problem go back to your country and let their government figure it out it might not be the United States problem I'll admit that but the needs of those who suffer that is a church problem because the king our king our president has said serve the least of these." I'm talking about Jesus. The woman who wants an abortion. Will you look at her and say, live with your mistake? Or will you say, I know you're suffering. And your suffering is now our suffering. Let us help you in this situation. The single working mother who has three children at McDonald's. Working at a minimum wage job. Will we say, too bad you should have gotten a better education so you could have a better job. Maybe the government doesn't need to raise the minimum wage. I can admit that. But are we supposed to turn her down when she comes and needs help? Do we say of the needs of others, you must have done something wrong to deserve this. And I have to say, I'm so glad God didn't say that to me. Because I do deserve everything uh, that God has for me in judgment. I'm glad He didn't look at me and say, well, you should have done better and I could have helped you. For the sake of the kingdom of God, are you willing to be poor in spirit, only relying on God, hungering and thirsting for the world to know His blessing, to weep for brokenness, even for people in sin. Are you willing to take the unpopular position of not picking sides of who you show love to? Realizing without God, you are poor too. As the band comes back up, I have a question: How bad can the woes be? You know, I'm pretty comfortable. Maybe I don't want to worry about the woes. How how bad will the woes be? I think Job describes it well. Let me read what Job says. If I have withheld anything that the poor desired, or have caused the eye of the widow to fail, or have eaten my morsel alone and the orphan has not eaten from it, if I have seen anyone perish for lack of clothing, or a poor person without covering, whose loins have not been blessed, have not blessed me, and who was not warmed with the fleece of my sheep, If I've raised my hand against the orphan because I saw I had supporters at the gate, then let my shoulder blade fall from my shoulder and let my arm be broken from its socket. For I was a terror of calamity from God and I could not have faced his majesty. Oh, that is scary. That is a woe right there. If this is the woe of woefulness, imagine the blessing of blessedness. Let us live lives for a future kingdom where God will be all in all. For no amount of sacrifice we make here on this earth will be too big. And we will be repaid tenfold, a hundredfold. It's unimaginable how much we will get back in the kingdom of God. If we believe Jesus, if we really think he's there, we'll live this life. Um, where are you going to put your money? Where are you going to put your time? Where are you going to put your talents? What are you going to do with your life? And it's not just what are you going to do. It's what are we going to do. Let's be the people of God who live for the sake of a broken world. Let's introduce them to the God of love. Let's introduce them to the God that put us back together so that he can make us all whole. This has been a production of College Place United Methodist Church. May God bless you richly upon hearing this message.